Hey, if you're taking notes this morning, I'd like you to please write down Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone. Christ alone, grace alone, and faith alone. We're going to continue in our series in Ephesians this morning. Um, if you haven't been with us, I really encourage you to jump on our app um, You know, at some point during the week and listen back through the last couple of weeks. Uh, Pastor Stephen is actually going to, uh, is going to fill in for me next weekend, and if you've never heard Pastor Stephen preach, whew, get ready for a good time, um, but uh, he's, he's going to be bringing the word next week. I'm just really excited this morning uh, to, 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 to get in deeper into the word of God, and we're going we're gonna to be in Ephesians chapter 2, but I wanted to take just a brief recap from, uh, from last week. Uh, the title of the message was, I Am Appreciated. I'm appreciated. If you've ever felt like nobody sees you, that is a message I really want to encourage you to go back and listen to. Because friend, I got to tell you, your appreciation, your approval does not come from me. It doesn't come from your leadership. It doesn't come from your family. Your primary place of approval comes from Jesus. And what he appreciates, he rewards. Listen, friend, if you're, if you're living for the approval of man, you're going to die by it too. You know, I used to... There, there were times in my life where I was so concerned about what people thought of me, so concerned about what people thought of my leadership or my preaching or, you know, or, or my, you know, my hairstyle. Or, I mean, I, I realize this sounds kind of shallow, but the reality is that there was a time in my life where I was so concerned about what people thought of me that it might take 10 or 15 people telling me that I did a great job to overcome the one person that said that I didn't do a great job. If you live for the approval of man, you will die by it. I remember spending whole days thinking about text messages or, 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 or emails that I got, you know, that, that told me exactly how terrible I did one particular Sunday. And, and, and I was reminded at the end of this, I, it, was, it was a moment where the Lord really had to kind of shake me a little bit. And what He told me was, He said, Son, did I tell you those things? No. Well, then don't worry about it. What they think of you isn't what I think of you, and what I think of you is significantly more important. If you live for the approval of man, you'll die by it. But friend, i got to tell you that if you love Jesus and you love His church, Jesus appreciates you, and He appreciates your faith. Alright, we're going to go into Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. We're going to go 10 verses. We're going to uh, verses 1 through 10. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Somebody say dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the Spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, somebody say, but God, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace through His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. 
not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Okay, we're, gonna, we're just going to pray and close up now. <laughs> Listen, man, this is, this is a word that preaches itself. But i got to be honest with you, it's a word that has to be preached. You know, I think sometimes we, sometimes we, well, I'm not going to get too deep into the message just yet, but there's a reason why in the previous chapter, so in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is, is basically just telling the believer the first, the, the first and most important thing is these are the things that God has given to you in Christ. The most important word in Ephesians chapter 1 is not predestined, it's in Christ. That's the most important phrase in Ephesians chapter 1. Then, in the latter half of this, of this first chapter, he's, he's telling the believer, and this again, we, because we believe in something called plenary verbal inspiration, which means that God wrote the Bible through people, that every single word of Scripture was inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's not just Paul saying to the Ephesians, I personally appreciate you. It's the Holy Spirit telling Paul to tell all believers everywhere that if you love Jesus and you love the church, God appreciates you. He doesn't just love you, He appreciates you. There is a huge difference between being loved and being appreciated. You know, I mentioned this last week, but I can love you and not appreciate you. Now, you might say, I'm not loving you very well if I love you but don't appreciate you, but ultimately, I can love someone and not fully appreciate who they are. God doesn't do it that way. God loves you and He appreciates you. He sees everything that you do and everything that He appreciates, He rewards. He never forgets. All those things that you've done for so many people that have turned around and betrayed you and left you, God doesn't forget what you've done from. How many of you in this room have given of yourself to someone and then you've been betrayed? Yeah, I think probably everybody in the room, if we really just wanted to raise our hands, could probably say that, right? Can I tell you who never does that? God. What He appreciates, He rewards. In this second chapter, you know, it's, it's interesting, Paul... I mentioned this last week as well, but Paul spent a ridiculous amount of time teaching the Ephesian church. You know, if we were to, if we were to, if we were to go through the lineup of, of all of the, 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 the great leaders that at one point in time were at least stationed for a season in Ephesus, we'd find that basically the vast majority of the writers of the New Testament at one point in time were the leaders of the Ephesian church. Imagine, imagine if instead of me standing up here trying to exegete Paul's letter if it was Paul himself saying, let's go to the letter I wrote today. We're going to talk about some things that I've already talked to you about. I feel like his interpretation would be pretty spot on. Right? And yet, even though the Ephesian church, see, by the time that, by the time that Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians, they've been Christians for a while. Like the house has been built for a hot minute. How many of you, how many of you, either are in the trades or know someone in the trades that every time that they go by a house that they built or they did something on that house, they are quick to point that out. Like, I put that roof on. I remember, I remember the first time that my, my, my then-girlfriend, but you know, soon-to-be wife, um, visited me in Pullman. I went out of my way to drive around to various places where I could say, I did the drywall there. See that? I put all the stuff in the crawl space. It's a sturdy house. 
It's very sturdy, right? <laughs> very, very sturdy. But this chapter, it begins with a number of things, but initially it's the reminder of the state that we were once in. It's a reminder of the moment that Jesus rescued us. See, the truth is, is that the farther that you get from the moment that He made you holy, the farther we get from that, we can tend to whitewash our history. We can tend to think to ourselves, maybe it wasn't all that bad. We can forget See, there's a reason why he, he talks about those that are under wrath or those that are still under judgment. And then he says, also, that was you. Remember that that was you. See, because if you remember that, then you're going to see people differently. Don't get me preaching. Listen to this. This is, uh, this is Paul's journey uh, to the church of, or to the city of Ephesus. This is in Acts chapter 19. I'm going to start with this one because it's just, it, Jason, I just love this particular part. You're going to dig this. So this is Acts chapter 19, starting in verse uh, 11. It says, God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul, Paul's hands so that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Listen to this. This is great. Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. <laughs> the seven sons of Siva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul. But who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped him, basically, overpowered them all. Oh, this is just, and he just did them dirty. And prevailed against them so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices. While many of those who had practiced magic also collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. But you were dead in your trespasses. Do you see the correlation here between these, these two passages? Paul is reminding them, hey, you remember that day that you came to the altar and you gave Jesus everything. Up until that moment, you were dead. You know, I was, I was just thinking about, you know, a lot of times what I try to do in a message like this is I, I, I try to bring some kind of analogy that's, that, you know, because I realize that I use a lot of really big words, okay? That's just kind of who I am. But I, I always try to bring an analogy that I think everybody's going to understand. You know, about, I don't know, it was, we, we, we've owned our house now for uh, a little more than, I think it's right around 10 years. And uh, I remember the first time, and this happens to us every once in a while, where we get this, like a deluge, right? I mean, we could use one of those right now, am I right? But we get a downpour, and I remember it was, it was, it was so, at the time, it was, it was almost scary to me. You know, it was, it was my first year as a homeowner. And I, I literally at one point thought to myself, as I'm, as I'm watching basically just like a river kind of like go by my house on the road, I was thinking to myself, is my house going to wash away? Like we're in real trouble here, right? Until I went and looked at the foundation. See, I went into the crawl space and I found out that my, my foundation is like 
eight or nine feet deep below the dirt. And I realized in that moment, I have absolutely nothing to worry about. Like, let the rains come, let the winds come, let the storms come. I've got a foundation that's not going to let my house just float away. See, sometimes, you know, even though most of us, if you were to have somebody come over to your house today, you're not going to take them into the crawl space and say, hey, look at this foundation. Isn't this sturdy? I mean, like, most of the time, what are you doing? Like, if you come into my house, I'm going to be like, hey, here's the mantle. Isn't that nice? You know, here's the whatever. Isn't that great? Very few times have I ever said, hey, Kiana, why don't you come with me into the crawl space and you can see my massive foundation? But see, the problem is, is that the, the truth is, is that the greatest time to be reminded that you have a foundation is when, when everything around you is shaking. See, this is the reminder that Paul is giving, not just to the Ephesians, but to us. What he's saying is, remember that the foundation that you are built on cannot be shaken. What you are built on is so sturdy that it doesn't matter if the house across the road is collapsing. You have strength underneath. The farther removed from our past we become, the more tempted we are to whitewash or forget our history. We tend to judge the unsaved because we have forgotten that we once needed rescuing too. How many of you have ever seen Princess Bride? Okay, like if you're if you're if you grew up in a Christian home, you've seen the Princess Bride like 18 million times. It was like the one acceptable movie that people could watch. You know, there's this point, and of course we all know where it is. It's where Miracle Max. You know, they go to Miracle Max with uh, what's what's the guy's name, the main guy, Dread Pirate Roberts. I don't know. I can't remember. Wesley. That's what it is. Wesley. I knew that. Anyway. They bring Wesley to Miracle Max because, well, they needed a miracle. And they, you know, and Miracle Max picks up, you know, Wesley's arm and just drops it. And they're, they're like, well, can you do anything? He's, you know, he's dead. They're like, well, hold on. He's not all dead. He's just sort of dead. Just mostly dead. That's right, Chris. Mostly dead. See, the thing is, is that some of us have this perspective that we were only mostly dead. We were only sort of dead. We were kind of dead. Like we needed Jesus, but not as much as the guy across the street. Like I needed resurrection, but not as much as my sister does. Like I needed resurrection power, but not as much as my boss does. Friend, I got to tell you that the reminder Paul is giving the church is you were dead. All dead. Full dead. Full stop. A dead man cannot raise himself from the dead. He has to have help. Listen, if you had a heart attack right now, and they carted you to the hospital, and then they fired up the paddles, and then said, okay, Corey, have at it. See ya. You would have a very difficult time helping yourself. Here's the big idea. You didn't save you. You aren't saving you. Jesus saved you and is saving you. A dead man cannot raise himself. 
It wasn't your works. It's not your tithes. It's not your charity. It was the unmerited favor of God in the form of saving grace that saved you. Unmerited, which means you can't earn it. See, even to those of us who believe, we can tend to fall into a works cycle that says that if I work hard enough, I do good enough, I pray long enough, God will be happy with me. Friend, I'm really hoping that if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, I've firmly established the fact that God is already happy with you. If you are in Christ, the full favor of God is upon your life. When he looks at you, he doesn't see your past. He doesn't see your mistakes. He doesn't see your sins. He sees Jesus. When God sees you, he sees his son. God is pleased with you. There is nothing that you can do to earn it. And because you didn't earn it, you can't lose it. The new covenant is the trading of my rags for his righteousness, my sin for his perfection, my disease for his healing, and my death for his life. You didn't earn it. See, there's a significant difference between a posture of grace and a posture of works. A posture of works is one that always is striving, always striving, always striving, knowing Come on, everybody in this room that has a works mentality, you don't have to like call yourself out here, but I'm telling you, every single person in this room that, that does the work of God from a place of works, you know that you're not enough. It's why you continue to strive after the feeling of being enough. But the thing is, is deep inside, you know that you can't do it. Can I free you this morning? Can I free you this morning? You don't have to. You don't have to do anything else for the favor of God to be on your life. The thief on the cross didn't have one moment to work for God. He didn't have one moment to get God's favor. All he had was one word. All he had was one sentence. When you remember me, remember me when you're in your kingdom. That's all he had. And in that moment, he received unmerited grace. Favor that he couldn't have earned. Be free from a mentality that says, I have to please God in order to be acceptable or approved. Friend, if you're in Christ, you are approved. Already. Unequivocally. Not because of anything that you've done. Because then you'd boast about it. Come on, how many people that live in a works mentality have you ever heard talking about all their works? That's because that's all they have to boast about. But actually, Paul says, if I'm going to boast in anything, I'm going to boast in my weakness. Because it's in those places where I have failed that God showed himself strong. It's in those places I couldn't do anything about that God showed up in miraculous ways. I'm not going to boast about my works I'm going to boast about my weakness because I know I'm already approved. See, it's sometimes, it's why we we can tend in America to have a really hard time grabbing hold of this idea or the notion 
that I received something that I didn't earn. Listen, this is a great country. It really is. We've got a lot of flaws, right? But we, we have a great country. We have a, good, a fairly good system. But the thing is that the system of the kingdom of God and the system of America are not plug-and-play copies of each other. See, because the American system is work hard, get the job. Work harder, get a promotion. Get a promotion, buy a house. Buy a house, get a wife. Like, we have these, we have these, obviously it's, you know, sometimes not in that order, but we have a very sequential idea. We have a sequential idea of what the American dream is. And sometimes what we think is, well, to be American and conservative is to be Christian. (laughs) Friend, you are not a believer because you come to church and you're an American. You're not a believer because you listen to Fox News or, or, or you listen to the right pundits or whatever it is. You are a Christian if you are in Christ. That's what it means. See, and the problem is sometimes because we have this mentality that everything, I don't want handouts. Handouts are for the weak and lazy. (laughs) Friend, you might be strong in this system, but you have no power to resurrect yourself. You are not strong in God's system. You are weak. And you needed a handout. You needed a hand up. You needed a resurrection. You needed more than help. You needed life. It's nothing that you could work for. It's nothing you could earn, and it's nothing you can lose. What God finds, somebody needs to hear this again. I I said it in week one. What God finds, He keeps. God cannot lose you. This coffee is really good, by the way. Crystal. 1 Corinthians 1.25. I love this. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Here's what I, what I want to quantify real quickly. What the Bible is not saying is that God has weaknesses or that He's foolish. What it's suggesting is, is that if it were possible for God to be not wise, He'd still be smarter than you. If it were possible for God to have a weakness, he'd still be stronger than you. How many of you have ever wrestled your kid? Not when they're like 16, okay? <laughs> like when they're 16, like you got you to gotta, you gotta pull some old man tricks, right? But like, <laughs> Bryce knows what I'm talking about. Anyway, <laughs> but like when, when your kid is like four or five years old and, and they want to wrestle, it's like you wrestle them a bit. It's like those, those, uh, those National Geographic things where they show the, 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 the big lion wrestling with the little lions, right? And the, and the big lion lets himself kind of get worked over a little bit. And then he does something that you go, like, oh, whoa, that's, that's still a lion, right? Like the kid goes a little too far and all of a sudden the big lion's like, ah, you know? That's kind of like what it's like to wrestle with your kid, right? It's like they kind of go a little bit too, you, you kind of let it go, you want to build their confidence a little bit, and then all of a sudden they go a little too far and you got to lay the smack down. I got to remind you who's the dad around here. Okay, that's what we're talking about. We, we talk about God's weakness. God is not weak. But ultimately, if, we were to, if, we, if I was to explain it a different way, how I would say it is, is that God, his strength is so great that we can't actually comprehend it. Like we think we can in certain situations. We wonder why God's not pulling us out of things. We wonder why, 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 why things aren't happening as fast as we want them to. But the, at the end of the day, friend, I got to tell you, God isn't just the God of your breakthrough. He's the God of your journey. Sometimes we don't trust God with tragedy. We don't trust God in the broken places. 
We think that if God doesn't heal everything or do everything, that that somehow makes him bad. And i got to tell you, that's not true. Because people who trust God with their journey find God in those broken places and they find Him in a way that people that have never had any problems or whatever it is you think never see Him. It's because it's in our weakness. It's in my broken place that I see Him for who He is. Not just as a deliverer, but as a father. Listen, I can't, I can't stop my kids from getting wounds. I can walk with them through it, though. Does that make sense? It's kind of like the story of Jacob wrestling with God. Have you guys read the story in the book of Genesis? There's this point where Jacob is at the end of his rope. I mean, he's, he's spent his whole life as a trickster. He's basically swindled everyone that he knew. Stole his brother's birthright, although to be fair, his brother was kind of dumb. Let's be honest. I mean, sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. <laughs> know your value. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> young man, young lady in the room, did you hear that? Know your value. Okay. <clears throat> Listen, so at, at the very end of this, it's, it says that Jacob had sent all of his, 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 his family, his possessions across the river, and then he wrestled with God. And he wouldn't stop wrestling him. And by the end of this, God's like, all right, I got to go. And so he just touches his hip and displaces it. So God is, God's toying with Jacob this entire time just to see what kind of endurance like, that, that he's got. But at the end of the day, when God wanted to leave, Jacob walked with a limp after that. Oh, my gosh. Okay. You may be strong in the world system, but you have no strength to affect your own regeneration without Christ. A dead man cannot raise himself. So what does a posture of grace look like? I've only actually got two points today because my introduction was so long I didn't have time for three. So here we go. Number one, <laughs> number one, a posture of grace sees its work differently. Sees its work differently. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Now, I'm going to compare this really quickly with another very well-known passage of Scripture. This is James chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. It says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. See, this is one of the most difficult realities to navigate in the balance what does it mean to have faith without works or faith with works? In fact, it's, it was one of the main schisms, for lack of a better term, between the Protestant church and the Catholic church. Martin Luther contended that man is saved by grace through faith alone. The Catholic church contended that man is saved by a combination of faith, grace, and works. It's part of the reason why when they excommunicate somebody, what they're really doing is they're taking you away from the Eucharist or communion. Because the idea is, is that if the church denies you communion, it's, a, it's denying you a salvific part of your faith. That you cannot be saved apart from certain kinds of works. Can I contend that both of these are kind of right, but mostly wrong? 
See, if we go back and we read this passage in Ephesians, it says, you are saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. But listen to verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ. There's that word again, in Christ Jesus for good works. Good works don't produce salvation. They are a product of salvation, which is essentially what James is trying to say. What he's saying is, if you're going to sit there and tell me that you don't have to do a thing now that you're saved, you don't have to preach the gospel, you don't have to be Jesus wherever you are, you can just sit in the knowledge of your own salvation and do nothing for God, I'm going to question whether or not you're actually regenerated. I'm going to question your faith based upon your total inability or total lack of desire to do anything for God now that He's done everything for you. Does that make sense? See, what Paul is saying is he's saying that a mark of the believer is that you want to do the things that God has prepared for you. I want to obey Him. I want to say yes to Him. I want to go after the things that He wants for me. I don't want my plan. I want His plan. I'm not adding God to the recipe of my life. He is my life. He's not, let me put it this way. Okay, I'm going to say this kind of way. Jesus is inside you, okay? But He's not in me. I'm in Him. I'm in Christ. I'm part of His mechanism. He's not part of mine. See, so many of us, we try to divide our life up into pies. Like, I'm going to give you know, this amount to my church. I'm going to give this amount to my family. I'm going to give this amount to, you know, to ministry, this amount to my job. Friend, i got to tell you, you don't actually get to do that if you're in Christ. When you're in Christ, you do whatever He says, whenever He says it, because you're in Christ. He's not part of you. You're part of Him. Now, that can be very uncomfortable for somebody who has a very specific plan for your life that hasn't actually prayed about it. There was a time in my life where I didn't want to hear from God what His plan for me was. Guys, I'm telling you, I probably had, before the age of 18, I probably had at least 10 different people, most of whom didn't know me, prophesy over me that I was going to be a pastor one day and I was going to preach. The thing was, I knew that pastors are generally poor. And so I thought to myself, this is not a profession I want to be in. Like, I wanted to do things for Jesus, but I wanted to do it my way. I wanted to be a Christian rock star. Like, I wanted to be the next Michael W. Smith. Of course, I, you know, some of you guys don't even know who that is. But anyway, at the time, he was big, okay? Still big in Japan, I'm sure. But anyway, <clears throat> at the time, that's what I wanted. I was longing to be something that I wanted to be. I wasn't asking God who he wanted me to be. The last person that prophesied that over me, I actually rebuked them because I, I, was, I was soundly rejecting the word. There's a reason why the scriptures tell us to not despise prophecy. See, when I'm posturing myself, understanding what's been done for me, even when I'm operating in my calling and my gifting, I don't say, did I do enough? I say, thank you, God, that you already did enough. For those of you guys who have kids, how many of you remember teaching your children how to do chores? 
I mean, we're, we're still in the process. Some of, some of you parents who have really young kids, you're like, I can't wait till they're like a foot taller, right? <laughs> but, you know, we, we kind of started by just doing a couple of really basic things. And, and here in the next year, my boys are going to start doing like the yard work. Right now, I kind of got them started by just having them clean up the yard before I do the yard work. And it's like, especially for my younger ones, it's like I've just asked them to put all of their life on pause for the next 20 years to go do something for me. Because <laughs> it's so tough, right? <clears throat> but here's the thing. Cleaning up the yard doesn't actually mow it, right? Like picking up a few things that they just left out there doesn't actually produce the mowing process. See, the truth is, is and, and if every parent in this room that has struggled with your kids when they feel like they're doing too much around the house, every single one of us, like one of the things that we, you know, that is the easiest, the easiest place to go is, you want to pay bills? Because see, here's the thing, even if they did every single chore around the house, can I tell you what they're not doing? They're not paying the mortgage. They're not paying for the water. They're not paying for the lights. They're not paying for the food. They're not paying for the, the Wi-Fi. They're not paying for the cable. Do you see where I'm going with this? Here's the thing. Some of us think that the work of God is just so overwhelming. But the thing is, if you... if <laughs> Listen, if I didn't own the house, my kids wouldn't have a place to do chores. <laughs> if God didn't build the house, you wouldn't have a place to get saved. Our work comparatively is so much less than what God has already done. Quit complaining. It's okay to understand. You know, I, I explained this to my, to my oldest son uh, a few weeks back, but I was talking to him about his inheritance, and I said, listen, part of the reason that we take care of this house is because this is yours. It's not just mine. If your mom and I were to pass away right now, you would get this place. Listen. You didn't build the house. You didn't save yourself. The work that God has for you is so much less. It's so much lighter than what he's already done. Instead of complaining about the things that God asks us to do, maybe we'd be grateful for the fact that we've got a house. Some of us are just like, man, why do I have so much to do? And friend, maybe we should just be grateful. Maybe we should just be grateful, knowing that the, the divide between us, we could never build a bridge over, but God did it in Christ. Number two, this is where I'm wrapping up. Posture of grace sees people differently. Sees people differently. Listen to this again. This is Ephesians 2, 3 to 5. Again, I, I love how Paul puts this because on one hand, He's, he, he's, he's reminding the believer that, yeah, it's still pretty dark out there. Like, if you look out into the world today, it's pretty dark out there, right? This is what he says. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who's rich in mercy because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses, you are saved by grace. The passage here has a twofold purpose. It's to remind the believer of what God saved them from, and also to remind them that all those that they now judge for their ideologies, their actions, and their sins were just like them before Christ rescued them. 
You didn't work your way to grace. It was given to you. You didn't work your way out of your darkness. God found you. You didn't even find Jesus or find religion. A man lost in the woods at night with no light doesn't say to the person who finds him with a flashlight, oh, I found you, finally. No, you, you didn't find him. You were found. But the reminder is, let me ask you a different question. Do you contend for people that you disagree with or do you contend against them? Do you contend for them or do you contend against them? You know, I, I've heard a lot of your guys' testimonies. Like some of them are like, you know, are maybe a little bit crazier than, than others. But you know what I almost always hear? I almost always hear somebody say, I'm so grateful that my mom prayed for me when I was out. I'm so grateful I had a grandmother who prayed for me. Can I ask, what are you contending for? Are you contending to be right or are you contending for people's salvation? Man, I tell you, today in America, 70% of all churches are pastored by people who were born again in the Jesus movement. Now, if you don't know what the Jesus movement is, it was in the mid to late 70s, and it was in that, that time of revival that a huge portion of the baby boomers were saved. Up until that time, they were looked at as being the most useless generation in American history. They were burning cities. Come on, somebody. They were burning cities. They were rioting. They were looting. They were going around sleeping with whoever they wanted to. They were doing drugs all over the place. Their own parents, by and large, gave up on them because they were useless. But God. But God. See, when I see, when I see what's happening in the nation today, I'm reminded that I was just like that, but God. What I see on the news, what I see in what you know, all over, all over the world right now is I don't, I don't see, I don't see a generation that needs to be contended against. I see a generation that needs to be contended for. Because I don't, I, I don't see revolutionaries. I see, I see the next batch of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They aren't pagan. They're pre-Christian. Listen, what are you contending for? Who are you contending against? You know, what I'm reminded of here in Ephesians chapter 2 is that just like them, I was under judgment but God. And what that reminder is, is it's not just, it's not just for me to say, oh man, thank God that he did for me this great salvation. The reminder is that everybody else has that opportunity too. And instead of getting upset about how other people believe or think, I'm going to be praying for them. I'm believing for them. I'm, 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 I'm asking God for revival, not because I want to see crazy things in the church or because I want my political beliefs to be the dominant ones in culture, but because I see a whole generation of people who have been lied to. And I want to see them free. What are you contending for? See, I've seen God, both in my own life and throughout history, 
come through at just the right moment. So I'm not posturing myself toward anger, judgment, or bitterness. I'm contending for the soul of my generation. I'm contending for the hearts of my contemporaries. I want to see revival. Not for any other reason than that people need Jesus. Listen, friend, you can look to a lot of different sources for your contentment, but I'm telling you, you're always going to come up short until you say yes to the one who made you. So here's why I'm wrapping up. Listen, I got to tell you this morning, if you are in Christ, you're already approved. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to strive for it. You don't have to wake up tomorrow morning trying to weigh the good things that you did versus the bad things that you did. Jesus already took the weight. He already, he already paid, the, he paid the full price, the full bill. You are already approved. You are not saved because you were good enough. You're not even saved because you were bad enough. You're saved in Christ alone, by grace alone, and by faith alone. You didn't do it. Stop trying to earn it. And thank God for it. Amen. Come on, let's pray. Man, I got to say this one more. There's somebody in the room this morning that you are struggling so hard with this concept. But I've got to tell you, friend, Jesus... Jesus couldn't love you any more than he does right now. And the day will never come where he loves you less. Somebody needs to hear, I'm going to say it again, somebody needs to hear it. That Jesus could not love you any more than he does right now. And the day will never come where he loves you any less. Jesus, we thank you this morning that you did it. You did it, not us. Not in our power, not in our strength, not in our authority, not by our sacrifice, not by our works. We participated in our salvation only as so far as we committed the sin that made it necessary. You paid it all. Listen, I'm just going to ask you one question. This was a pretty straightforward message today, but do you know Jesus? Listen, i got to tell somebody in the room... If you're in Christ, you're approved. If you're not in Christ, this is your moment. We always try to give at least some point in our messages a place where you can say yes to Jesus. Not because we're trying to tally a list, but because heaven, heaven has your name on his mind. God is speaking to you this morning. Not me. God is speaking to you this morning. If that's you this morning, you're saying, man, I... I want to be in Christ. I need to come to the Lord. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Or maybe you're in this room and, and this is the first time you've been in church in a really, really long time. You realize that at one point in your life you said yes to Jesus, but you, you know that you've walked away from him since then. And today's your day to come back home. Either way, if you're either one of those people this morning and you're saying, I need Jesus. Can I pray with you this morning? Do you raise your hand? If that's you this morning, I really want to pray with you today. Is there anybody in the house, man? I need Jesus today. I need Jesus today. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Lord. Come on. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We are so grateful for everything that we have in you. We're so grateful for everything that we have in Christ. And we give all glory to you. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.